right. Welcome back to another Off the Cuff episode where Trisha and I today are going to be taking on, I know this is going to surprise everybody, but uh, we're going to start talking about ChatGPT and some of the resources that we have to help and support and just some of the ideas around uh, how out of, it seems like out of nowhere, Trisha, uh, ChatGPT has just disrupted education. Uh, some school districts are banning it altogether. Some school districts are saying you can't do that. Uh, there's all kinds of misconceptions around what it can and can't do. And so today our hope is, is just to have a chat about uh, kind of where we are with chat GPT and how we can support educators uh, with this new tool. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation. And, you know, folks who are both listeners and subscribers to our free newsletter are probably already well aware we've got a free guide out. Jeff, it was our free guide that sort of set a record for us, like the the quickest um almost like onslaught of downloads of yeah, all so of our all of our free guides. So obviously this is something that, you know, a, a lot of educators are thinking about. And I want to remind folks right at the top of the episode. If you have thoughts on your school or your team's approach to navigating this shift, we'd love to hear from you. And we do have a speak pipe button right on our Shifting Schools homepage. Um, We love getting voice memos. You can let us know if it's a voice memo that you would like shared in a future episode or if it's just sort of something you want to uh, let Jeff and I know about. Now, on the flip side, if you've never heard of ChatGPT, what is it? Well, ChatGPT is a large language model trained by OpenAI. It is capable of understanding and generating human-like text and can be used for a variety of natural language processing tasks, such as language translation, question answering, and text completion. There are a few misconceptions, I think, going around about ChatGPT. Jeff, do you want to talk to us about one uh, one of the many misconceptions maybe that's out there? Yeah, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, what we're what we really need to understand is how incredible of a leap in technology chat GPT and other AIs. The nice thing that I think that has been really interesting about this is, you know, chat GPT is putting a focus back on AI and a lot of the AI that is out there. And how do they enhance our lives? And what are they actually doing and what can they not do? And I think that's that's kind of around, you know some of the misconceptions we have. I think the first one is this idea that it, that it's, uh, that it's conscious, that it's living. Uh, and it's not the, one of the things I read the other day is it actually has 1.7 billion inputs. Think about that for a second. It's taking 1.7 billion different inputs. And when you ask it a question, it quickly can go through all of those inputs. It's going out to the internet. It's finding things off the internet and it's putting them into natural language because it knows how we talk, how we write sentence structure. It knows how we pause. It, it, it takes all of that in and it's able to write something very congruently. I mean, it is pretty incredible when you actually sit down and have it type out different things exactly what it can do but this idea that it's conscious that it's that it's alive is is not true um and this is actually different than say something that is um a learning system you know it it does have a little bit it has an it has a way to fix its own misconceptions but it doesn't learn it only learns from the stuff that we humans 
feed it. It can't learn on its own, if that makes sense. Uh, but it can learn from what we give it, from the inputs that we give it. Uh, much like a much like a dog, right? A dog learns when you give it inputs. When you tell it to sit, it sits. You know, and it's that repetitive nature that when you have an animal and you're trying to train your pet. It's the repetitive nature that then the the animal learns. And you think of chat GPT like that as well. It, it's not inherently smart, but it gets smarter the more inputs it has into it. Uh, and so I think that is something for people to, to remember and to be thinking about as well. That's right. And I would say the, the second biggest misconception is that chat GPT is always correct. Chat GPT is a powerful tool, but it is not infallible. It may make mistakes or produce even nonsensical responses if it's given input that has not been trained on or if the input is ambiguous. Now, listeners, we want to let you know actually that both of those misconceptions, those come from, you guessed it, Chat GPT, as did the description of what it is. So, you know, Jeff, as you were talking about how powerful it is, we wanted to even test that. So the prompt that we put into ChatGPT was, what are three misconceptions about ChatGPT? And ChatGPT gave those to me faster than it took me to actually type in the prompt. What yeah, are right. the three misconceptions? Um, but Jeff, you know, you were talking about how it's interesting that in many ways, the power, the power of ChatGPT is, is shining a spotlight a little bit on all of the other kinds of AI that are out there as well. And listeners in the show notes, I'm going to put a link there that is um, taking you over to a site called there's an AI for that.com where it has a really interesting collection of all different types of AI, generative AI that are going to be useful, I think, to schools in many ways, especially I think this is in many, many ways going to be like the year of the AI. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I wanted to point one out. It's uh, Tactic, which is a real-time transcription. You can use it with Google Meet, with Zoom, with uh, Microsoft Teams, where it's it's going to, it's free, and it will actually transcribe your full meeting. So, you know, if you are a member of a team that meets virtually a lot and you're, you know, maybe it's it's kind of like a rotating duty where someone has to take notes there's an AI for that. Now you don't necessarily need that role. So uh, I just kind of think that's a great, what a smart tool that can have real impact. So there's a whole bunch of them over there. Um, and I would recommend take a look at the list and maybe experiment with one of them. Yeah. And I think it, you know, to your point, I think this is going to be the year of AI. I think we're going to find different ways that AI not only supports us in our own day-to-day -day lives, but the ways that it can actually support you in education. And of course, I've always been on on the side of you can't block this stuff in schools. You know, you can't block the calculator. You can't block the cell phone. You're not going to be able to block this. I mean, you can, but as soon as kids go home at three o'clock, they have access to it. <laughs> it's not like we're, you know, we're actually doing any... I don't feel like we're doing any good when we actually block this stuff in schools because kids are going to go home and now they don't have an adult that's teaching them how to use it successfully. And the thing I've been saying a lot with chat GPT, I've had a couple of friends say, okay, Jeff, how would you, how would you describe it? Or what do you think it's best use is? And right now, the best way I've been using it, you've used it almost every day uh, for the last two weeks now. And I use it as a thought partner. You know, if I need to bounce ideas off of something, if I'm wondering how to write something, or if I need something, you know, like your proc, what are three misconceptions? I can go over there and say, oh, what are uh, three things that teachers need to know about today? And at least it gives me a starting point. They might not be the three things I agree with, 
but it gives me a place to get started. I use it as a thought partner. And I wonder if there's ways that you can start thinking about all of this AI as, you know what, this is a thought partner that when I'm working by myself and, you know, Trisha, you and I aren't on a Zoom call or we're not collaborating somewhere synchronously and I need to bounce an idea off of something, this is a place that I can go and bounce ideas off of. And that what a great way to kind of start thinking about how all of this AI can support us. Can it be a thought partner in your thinking, in the way that you're describing things? I can see teachers saying this, you know, need a lesson plan idea for something on X, Y, and Z and see what happens. It might not give you the perfect lesson plan, but it might give you some ideas, right, as a thought partner on where you might go with those lesson plans. So I think that's a one really good way that you can think about this is can it be a thought partner for you? Yeah, you know, and, and for me, the maybe the comparison is I use Google Maps, Jeff, almost anytime I'm going anywhere. And I, like I might not always listen to what Google Maps tells me to do, right? It might be actually I've I know this city really well or I've been in this area, but I'm curious to see what's Google Maps going to recommend. Maybe actually I will try that route to see is that route better than the one that I know. Um, and I think, you know, of course, um, there will be some primary school teachers who are listening and thinking, well, what does this mean for my students who maybe aren't, uh, you know, technically at the age where they might be using it? And I'm thinking of all the ways that we might model it with students where, yeah. you know, we're working on something or maybe we're doing a creative task. Maybe we take a break. And as you said, let's tap our thought partner Let's get a few uh, prompts or ideas from our thought partner. I mean, you know, I've been talking to educators who are using it, you know, like you were saying, as a starting point, give me a few questions about given topic. Um, I was chatting with someone who told me she mapped out her basketball practices using chat GPT, uh, mm. you know, gave it a few uh, suggestions in terms of what what her team needed to work on. I had another teacher tell me, you know, meal prep. She has young children. Uh, and anybody listening who has young children, you have an added sort of demand, of course, on your time. So meal prep on her weekends is a big deal. She gave ChatGPT her, you know, ingredient restrictions, types of food that she liked. It did meal prep for her. That's crazy. Um, so yeah, I just think there's so many different applications. And I, I think it's going to disrupt so many different industries, right? And so to show students what is it able to do at this point in time, um, you know, what's the research that maybe it can help us out with, and how can we double check what chat GPT is telling us? Because, you know, for me, I'm thinking this is yet another reminder of how important information literacy is, right? Because yeah, absolutely. Like we said at the start, chat GPT is not all knowing. So let's look at um, what is it what is it telling us? Where's it getting that information from? And then when we double check that, uh, what are some of the gaps that maybe we can fill in? Yeah, and I think there's a great uh, if you are a high school teacher right now, I'm thinking ELA social studies. I mean, you could do this science teachers could do this as well. But I think there's a and there's a couple articles that you can go out and look around the ethics of something like chat GPT because it doesn't cite its sources. And I think it's really important for kids to understand that. I mean, it, you, that is what's getting students in trouble at university is if you just copy and paste something, it is getting that information from somewhere on the internet. And if you are not citing your source, you're now plagiarizing. So the question becomes, 
if chat GPT is giving you this information and it's not citing its sources, is it actually not, you know, is it actually plagiarizing what someone else has written? What a great question for high school kids to kind of look at. And I've done this. Like I used it the other day to look up some information and I found the sentence that I want. I was like, that's the statistic I need for my paper. But I didn't know where where Jet chat GPT had gotten that information. So I had to copy it, go back out to the internet. I found the place. It was coming from the American Pediatric Society. It was exactly the source I wanted, but it didn't give me the source of where it got its information. So is that plagiarizing or is it because it's non-learning, it's non-thinking, it's just giving me information to response I ask it. So therefore, it's only plagiarizing if I use it as my resource. I mean, what a great debate to have with high school kids. I could see... I can see people landing on both sides of it. So there's just so many cool things that you could do with it, you know. And a really good practice to just get into with students, yes. like what you were talking about with reverse engineering. Can we figure out, can we be detectives and find out where it's taking that information from is really important. And another link that I'll be sure to include in the show notes, um, this is an episode from one of Wired. Wired has a gazillion different podcasts. Um, and they had a, an episode entitled Chat GPT for You and Me. Uh, and there's this great quote from their special AI reporter, and he says, quote, understanding what is true requires a greater understanding of the world. Mm. And for me, I think that's a great quote to discuss again with high school students because we need them to know how these models work. We need to continue to amplify why information literacy matters anticipate that these models are going to get better. Chat GPT is only in beta right now. Yeah. Um, so let's, I, I just kind of think, how can we foster curiosity around how this is working? And uh, again, you know, reverse engineer, where did it get that information from? It's not drawing information from the past two years, right? It even says right on its site, it's only taking information from 2021. I think even pointing that out to students, it does yeah. talk about like, what are the limitations? What can it do? What can't it do? And talk about what does that mean? What do those limitations mean for us as learners when we use it as a tool? Yeah. And I think those are the conversations we need to be having in our classrooms. And that's where it comes back to information literacy. If there is one skill that we should be teaching across content areas, it's information literacy. What do you do? in a world that has too much information, a world where you can access the information the moment you need it, the moment you want it. Uh, what are the skills you need to know and be able to understand in that world? And ChatGPT is just another way to access all of that information. You know, it's, uh, it's going to have bias in it as well. I mean, we're going to be seeing that come out. Uh, what a great another kind of lens to look through. Like, is there bias in its responses? Um, I, I don't know. I think there's so many things that we can use it for in the classroom that blocking it and telling kids, oh, you can't use this while you're at school. Or all you have to do is flip your phone over to your 5G and use it there is not helping or supporting learners in a world where it's not going to go away. It's only going to get better. And so we just have to remember and be thinking about, okay, how, how can we use this? What are the limitations to it? And how do we have conversations with students around it? I think that's the number one. Don't shy away from the conversations. And one of the things I love, Trisha, is you don't have to fully understand how it works. 
You just need to know it's there. You need to know it's there. You need to, you know, know a little bit about it. Go play with it for yourself for a little bit. And then knowing that little bit, that's what we, that's where conversations come from. It's wanting to know more of what it can do, it can't do, and where do you go from here? And that's one thing that I love about one of our first things that we're going to be supporting teachers around is a whole generative AI uh, five day challenge. Do you want to talk more about this five day challenge that we have coming up to support teachers around having these conversations with kids? Absolutely. Um, you know, and we really wanted to frame it as a five day challenge because as you were saying, Jeff, this isn't about, oh my goodness, am I going to have to spend hours and hours and hours doing a deep dive? We know that educators don't have the time for that, right? So we wanted to look at how can we set something up that the conditions are going to be there for you and your colleagues to play around with this tool, to really approach it from a standpoint of curiosity that, you know, Jeff, you and I all the time talk about on this show, be collaborative learners with your students. What might it mean to model some of the learning in real time with kids? Um, You know, there's a Google exec who says, I'd rather be a learn-it-all than a know-it-all. Here's, here's an opportunity to do that, right? So I don't know everything about this. Let's see what the hype is all about. And each of the five days, the challenge for each day, it's not going to say you know something that you have to do that's 90 minutes where you all have to be in the same space. The five-day challenge is set up so that you and a group of peers at the same school, at different schools, maybe it's something that you do with students. Maybe it's something that you do 10 minutes over your lunch. We have the template that's set up there for documentation so that folks can be playing around with the tool and then coming together at some point for conversation, right? Everything is there for you ready to roll in terms of, okay, here's the challenge for the day. Here's the prompt to get me to document what I was learning. And here's our facilitator's guide for when we can get together to share our thoughts and to share our experiences. And I really want to underline that word experiences, right? Because learning that's experiential, where you actually are tinkering with this, I think is crucial right now. Trying out different things, because as we said at the start of the show, it is an imperfect tool. And I would I would almost posit that it's just as important to understand the flaws as it is to understand the strengths. And most certainly to understand what are some of the things that's going to save you so much time as a teacher? What about trying it out in terms of generating a rubric? So we want you to explore some of the ways that it's really a useful teacher tool as well. Yeah. And that's really what the five-day challenge is about. Again, I love that the way that we are structuring this five-day challenge is you can use it with your colleagues or you could easily adapt it and use it with your students. Maybe you do a five-day challenge with your kids, 10 minutes of time to tinker with the, you know, tinker with chat GPT, have conversations around it. Again, we put the structures into place so that students have, you know, what are the questions we're trying to answer today as we play with it? Um, And that's really, that's really our focus. Quick hits that kind of just get us to take one step forward into uh, understanding what it can and can't do. And I love that idea. What can't it do? Not just what can it do, but what can't it do? What are its limitations? Uh, It's always an important thing to ask ourselves with any piece of technology uh, that we have as well. So 
our five-day challenge is going to be launched. Trisha and I are actually in the middle of creating it. Uh, so it will be launching on February 6th. That is when it will go live. You will be able to actually uh, download it then on the website. But Trisha, we have a special offer for those listeners out there who might want to get a little, uh, get on the list a little early and maybe save a little money. Yeah. And that's, you know, Jeff, you and I have been thinking, I, I think especially at the end of last year, now that we've got a slightly bigger podcast listener community, we're so grateful. You know, we know that your week is busy. So when you when you take the time to just, you know, give us that listen, we really, really appreciate it. So we've been trying to think, how can we say thank you to the newsletter subscribers? How can we say thank you to our uh, listener community as well? So again, giving you the news early also means when you do the pre-order, you can buy it now for 75 US dollars. Um, you know, again, we're just trying to find lots of little ways to say thank you for being a part of the community. Thank you for your attention. Um, and again, when you, when you, when you take the time to do that pre-order, if you want to reach out to Jeff or myself at info at shiftingschools.com and say, hey, you know, this is something I would love to see incorporated in the challenge. We're open for feedback right now. Part of us also letting folks know early is because we're also putting out that message of what are the problems that you need to solve with this? Is it you're looking for an assessment policy tweak that you need to make? You want to see an example of that? So let us know what you would like to see included in the challenge. Hopefully by now, if you're a longtime listener, you know that we are always open to feedback. Um, and that was, you know, episode 243 of our podcast was the first of 2023 that featured Dr. Wendy Woods, who's one of the country's biggest experts when it comes to habit formation. That's been a, a really, uh, you know, that had a lot of folks listening and responding. And I think it's because what she said about habit formation is you set up the conditions to be able to do something. And Jeff, you and I were thinking about this with the challenge, right? If we want to create a habit where there's a disruption in education, but our habit or our response to it is curiosity and coming together in community, we were thinking, what sets up the conditions for that? A challenge where it's not a huge time investment. It's like micro experiments. Uh, and you and I were talking about how challenges have been useful to us in other ways too. I don't know if you want to talk about like a challenge uh, that you've taken a part in or again, something that you've done that set the conditions up for you to be able to strive for something. Yeah. I don't know if there's a challenge off the top of my head. Uh, I think I your think, wife signed you up for one. Oh, that one. I didn't, even, <laughs> I didn't remember that. Yeah. So my Christmas present, I guess, was a challenge. Uh, my Christmas present this year is my wife <clears throat> Excuse me. My wife signed us up for a 15K. Uh, so the challenge has been to get back into running um, and uh, stretching out our miles. In fact, yesterday we went for a five mile run. So we're, sl we're slowly getting up there. A uh, 15K is about nine miles. Uh, so we've got to get up to about a nine mile run. But you're right. I guess that is a that's a fitness challenge, right? I guess we see these in, in multiple different places. And I think th the thing I want people to uh, be thinking about too is like the, this. It costs seventy five dollars, 
but that is a site license that can be used at your school. So when you download this five day challenge around generative AI, know that the, for 75 bucks, you have a license to use it in your school, right? It's a site license for your school. Uh, but challenges do, they, they do, they drive us to do something. And I think, uh, we haven't set a date yet on when we have to run this 15 K. Um, but we're looking at first of March. And so, uh, but it is good. It's good to have challenges. How about you? How do you use challenges in your life? I mean, one of the things that we have set up to do this year in my house is, you know, we realize as, you know, usually when it's holiday season, like your spending kind of gets out of control, right? Uh, and so we were talking about like, okay, this year, what might it mean for us to just kind of keep a slightly closer tabs on what's going on with our finances, right? And we were also noticing that like week after week, having like, you know, food spoil or, Mm. oh my gosh, I bought that and that's going in the compost, right? So trying to be a little bit less wasteful. So something that we're doing now is every weekend planning out our meals. And uh, what I'm doing is I'm recording, you know, planning out the meals, the ingredients, and then also looking at how much did that cost at the grocery store? We're documenting all of that and looking at, okay, how can we keep tweaking like listeners know everything at the grocery store is outrageously expensive right now. Yeah. And just continuing to like adjust and see what is the meal plan that A, we love what we're having for dinner every night and B, financially that's really savvy. So it's been it's been fun because we're comparing, we're taking turns doing the meal planning. So I think in your situation and in mine, the fun part is because you're doing it with someone else, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, when I've tried to prepare for a race and I'm doing it on my own, it's hard to keep up that motivation. Also, if I was just trying to work on, you know, saving being less wasteful on my own and my wife didn't care about it, I'd probably lose interest. But because even just adding one other person into the equation, we're talking about it, you know, it's, I think that social piece, it just drives engagement. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, that's a huge part. We know that in, in everything, you know, when you're, when you're held to, when somebody else is look with somebody else is supporting you, uh, and pushing you to run that extra mile, even though you don't want to, uh, or sit down on a Sunday meal plan, even if you don't want to, uh, but when you're being held, you know, with somebody and, and somebody is kind of there supporting you and you're in it together, there's just a sense of community. And that's really what we want. And that's what we hope that this five day challenge is. It's a way for you to create community either within your classroom uh, or with your colleagues uh, at your school or across your district. So you can find more about it over at shiftingschools.com. We've got it plastered all over the front page at shiftingschools.com. There you will be able to also purchase the early bird special, uh, $75 on February 6th. Once it launches, it will jump up to $100, but you can get on the list today. And as soon as February 6th rolls around, if Trisha and I and our challenge to get it done on February 6th, hit that deadline. Uh, you will then be given it. We will email it to you and you'll be ready to ready to roll. Great. So again, uh, we'd love to hear back from you. If you've got questions about the challenge or anything that you're saying, I really would like to make sure that this is addressed. We love getting feedback. You can always reach us info at shiftingschools.com. All of the links that we talked about in this episode, of course, they are over there in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tricia. Thanks everyone for another off the cuff episode. And until next time, we'll see you on the network.